covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is indeed that time again as we welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Bubble. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you along with us today. We've got a lot to get into today. Our guest today will include uh, Kyle Loebner. He is a, a contributing writer for the Timber Rattlers website. He also has his uh, daily brew frosty mug that he uh, tweets out. We will uh, also have coming up uh, later on the program as we go down on the farm, uh, Brad Krause from uh, Miller Park Prospects will talk to us about all things involved in the minor leagues. Now, we record this program on Sunday evenings, and this is one of those weeks where it might be better to be listening to it closer to our record time on Sunday than uh, later on in the week, because a lot can happen during the course of the week, with it being the final week before uh, you've got actually the, the opening day, which is going to be taking place on Monday, April 3rd at Miller Park against the Colorado Rockies. So, as we get ready for this, really, it seems as if there are still some position battles from a position player standpoint, but you almost get the feeling that Jesus Aguilar has taken that final spot and Scooter Jeanette's going to be on the roster as well. So you think that you do have a pretty good handle on the position player makeup. There's still some battles on the back end of the bullpen. But as we've talked about almost every week for the past month or so, the most intriguing, the most compelling competition to take a look at for the Brewers is certainly the starting pitching rotation where technically there are still five guys battling for the final three spots. The only two that have officially been announced by uh, manager Craig Council are Junior Guerra and Zach Davies. So after that, you're looking at Willie Peralta, Jimmy Nelson, Chase Anderson, Tommy Malone, and Matt Garza. And that's kind of the uh, the rankings that I'm giving to them right now. If I have to make a prediction, and I guess I will, my prediction for the starting rotation going into the season, it would go Garrett, Davies, Peralta, Nelson, and Anderson with Tommy Malone and Matt Garza being on the outside looking in. Tommy Malone in the bullpen and Garza no longer with the organization. That's what I think we are moving closer and closer towards. There is still a week left. These guys still have more uh, opportunities to go out there and uh, stake their position. But this has got to be the end of the line for Matt Garza. And I don't take joy in saying that. Garza is a guy who, from a Brewers standpoint, fan standpoint, He's not generally liked or appreciated, and it has something to do with him not living up to the big contract. It probably still has something to do with the fact that a couple years ago when he was coming back, he was given the opportunity to uh, rejoin the team, but not as a starter, but in the bullpen, and uh, he seemingly declined that offer, and he's just not the, the, the favorite of the fans out there. Garza has not pitched well enough in spring to justify him having a spot. And his most recent appearance was on Sunday. He pitched against Oakland. He took the loss. He went two and a third innings. He allows five runs on five hits with three strikeouts and one walk. And it jumped his ERA up to 8.59. Now, to be fair to him, because I'm not trying to do a hatchet job here, not trying to uh, to go off on a guy, to be fair to him, the organization has strongly encouraged him to kind of change the way he's pitching. And what I mean by that is he's asked, he's being asked to throw a lot more breaking balls when he's been seemingly a fastball pitcher through much of his career. So does that have a lot to do with why he's been struggling so much in spring? Absolutely. 100% absolutely. But does that mean the Brewers need to stick with him and give him opportunities in the rotation to start out the year to see if he's able to evolve and change himself as a starting pitcher? I don't think so. I just don't see it. I don't think he helps the team. He's not somebody who's going to uh, be with the team in the long run. And, yeah, you don't really want to pay him $13 million not to pitch for you this year. But I've said this many times, and I'll say it again. That $13 million... Is it better spent on him pitching for you and struggling, or is it better spent on him not being in the organization? Because now you're at a point where there's no future money involved. You're paying him $13 million this year almost no matter what. The only scenario where you don't pay him that full $13 million, if you're able to trade him, 
and get another team to pick up some of his salary. But even then, they're not going to pick up a lot of that salary. That's not something that uh, you're going to be able to get out from under. So you're going to be paying him that money. Where does he do you best? Pitching or not pitching for you? And I think at this point, for Matt Garza, him not pitching for you is actually more valuable. So when you look at the rest of the starting rotation, you know what you have right at the top with Guerra and Davies. I think we can pencil Peralta in as the number three starter. If we get rid of Matt Garza, Jimmy Nelson, Chase Anderson, Tommy Malone, those three guys competing for two spots. Malone this past week... Uh, struggled in his most recent outing. Uh, He pitched on Friday, and in three and a third innings, he ends up allowing seven runs on nine hits. That jumps his ERA from 3.12 to 7.5. Now, I always say this, anybody in the course of spring, you're going to have a bad outing here and there, and I kind of give you a pass at least one time. In fact, uh, a great example of this is uh, Junior Guerra this past week. He had a really, really rough outing his last time out on Thursday when he gave up 12 runs, 7 earned, and 3 and 2 thirds innings. So I'm not I'm not trying to kill Tommy Malone on this on just his last outing, but quite honestly, it comes at a uh, at a bad time. Chase Anderson, what he's been able to do recently, he's pitching to a 3.77 ERA. His most recent outing was on Friday. He gives up three runs on seven hits and four and a third innings against uh, Cincinnati. And then uh, Jimmy Nelson, is uh, his most recent outing, he was okay. Five and two-thirds innings, three runs on two hits. Uh, he's at a 5.68 ERA right now. So to me, it's uh, Tommy Malone is probably on the outside looking in in that three-person chase between uh, Anderson, Malone, and uh, and Jimmy Nelson at this point. You don't really feel comfortable sending Nelson to the bullpen. I think you probably could with Chase Anderson, so that's still an opportunity. And again, these guys have more chances coming forward to be able to uh, to show that they deserve to be in the starting rotation. When Tommy Malone was signed, uh, it was said that he could be a starter or he could be a rotation guy or, or a bullpen guy, rather, and that's something that may end up coming out to be true. So the starting rotation, we're supposed to find out more information on Tuesday, according to Craig Council. Monday is an off day for the team, and uh, on Tuesday we may hear from Craig Council in terms of, I don't know if he'll name all five starters or if he'll uh, give a, another name or two, but nonetheless, we're getting very quick to figuring out who the starting five will be for the Brewers when they open up the season on April 3rd. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. This week's headlines have more to do with uh, players not making the team, making the team, or being acquired. Let's start with a trade that was made on uh, Sunday. The Brewers announced that they had acquired minor league catcher Tyler Heineman. He was acquired from the Houston Astros for a player to be named later or cash. Uh, mind you, the organization that David Stearns previously worked in was the Astros. That's where Jonathan VR comes from. I would think we'll probably see some more moves made between uh, the Brewers and Astros going forward as Stearns is so familiar with many players inside of that uh, inside of that organization. Uh, he is uh, being He's never played in the big leagues. Last year he played at AAA Fresno, hit two fifty nine, three home runs, 14 RBIs, 27. Uh, runs scored. Uh, with Andrew Susak being kind of banged up, he's brought in to give some more uh, catching depth at the upper levels of the minor leagues. Speaking of the catching situation and what it's going to look like, uh, good news for uh, Andrew Susak. He went through a uh, MRI and there is no structural damage to his uh, trapezius muscle, so uh, they are able to kind of uh, start to uh, escalate and push forward his uh, rehab and trying to get him back on the field but in all likelihood uh, he is not even going to be able to start the season at the minor league level as he's been uh, really slowed down recently almost no matter what he's not going to be on the big league roster to start the season Manny Pena has been told that he will make the team no official word on if he's going to be the number one catcher but in all likelihood it's going to be Manny Pena as the starting catcher and then Jet Bandy is going to be the backup this is not going to be the same kind of scenario you had when Jonathan Lucroy was around where the top guy is going to play 
uh, three out of four, four out of every five games. It's going to be a little bit more of an even split between these two, and I'm sure we'll see Andrew Susak at some point during the course of, uh, of the year. Brent Suter has been sent down to AAA. Of course, he put up pretty good numbers last year with the Brewers, first as a starter and then as a bullpen guy. Right now, that leaves the team with no lefties in the bullpen. If Tommy Malone does not make it into the starting rotation, as I predicted a few moments ago, he could still make the team as a left-handed reliever. It's worth noting, though, his uh, righty-lefty splits throughout his career, he's not especially good against left-handers, so he's not that lefty in the pen that you can bring in knowing that he's going to be able to go get uh, the best left-handers for the opposing team. Michael Blazek has been sent down. Uh, relief pitcher, very surprising to him. Uh, reportedly was somewhat emotional about it. He'll be back up at some point in the future, but uh, he is being sent down to uh, AAA Colorado Springs, as is Yadiel Rivera. He is being asked to play every day at Colorado Springs, and really they want him to dominate the AAA level. And uh, he's, you know, you want to be in the big, you'd rather sit on the bench at the big leagues than uh, play every day as a minor leaguer. But Yadiel Rivera is going to be the everyday uh, shortstop, or at least play every day. He may, he'll probably move around a bit on the infield, but he is going to play every day. And then just a, a case of showing how deep the organization has become, especially in the outfield position. Michael Reed, who has been a September call up each of the last two seasons, Michael Reed gets sent down to double A. He there's just not any playing time available at Triple A because you've got Ryan Cordell, you got Lewis Brinson, you've got Brett Phillips there, Kyle Wren is assumed to be sent down to Triple A as well. There's just no room for Michael Reed on the Triple A roster, so he ends up getting sent down to Double A instead. Uh, a guy who is a, a one of the top prospects in the organization was even higher on that list before uh, the rebuild really really uh, jumped into action when David Stearns came in. Uh, here's a guy who all of a sudden can't even make the AAA roster despite being a September call-up in each of the last two years. And uh, those those are the headlines of the week. And there's going to be more of them this week as the roster continues to come together. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, continues here uh, as we uh, are very happy to uh, welcome in once again to the program, making his second appearance. Uh, you can find him all over the place on Twitter, at BrewFrostyMug. He also uh, writes uh, every couple weeks or so for uh, the Timber Rattlers website. It is uh, Kyle Loebner. Kyle, appreciate you taking a moment or so with us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, this is kind of a weird time to talk. We record this on Sunday nights, and generally the program is uh, kind of generic enough, I guess you can say, that no matter uh, when you're listening to it throughout the week, it's it's relative. But uh, as the roster really comes together, and this is a big week for players uh, being optioned down and making the team and so forth, uh, things could, be, uh, could become out of date very quickly. But all that being said, uh, as we do get into this final week of spring training before before the regular season gets started, what are the storylines that you're really watching? Well, I think you have to keep an eye right now on the starting pitching battle. I think it's really fascinating at this point that we are down to the final starts of spring training, and I think at best we know two guys that have made the team on the starting rotation um, so far in Junior Guerra and Zach Davies. And so I think, you know, as the week comes down, this is really the first time David Stearns has had to deal with a sunk cost contract um, in, in what he has with Matt Garza. It's going to be very interesting to see how they decide to handle that. Um, in the Melvin era, I think the Brewers probably would have found some value in keeping a veteran guy around. It's really unclear if this Brewer organization is going to feel that way. And then beyond that, I think for the most part, the um, position players are starting to kind of settle into place uh, the bullpen becomes an interesting question, depending on how many starters the Brewers decide to keep. But all told, I think there's a, a fair amount unsettled here, um, at least more than it seems like there's been in recent years at this point. And I think there's still the very real possibility that a guy who makes the opening day roster isn't even in the organization at this point. Yeah, you're you're right on that. The one the one area where I think I would disagree with you a little bit, I think Willie Peralta is is safe for the starting rotation. Do you you don't completely agree with that? 
I think that's probably true, but I don't. It hasn't been announced. Okay. I mean, I I would be very surprised if you asked me to rank everybody from three through eight in the starting rotation battle. I would give you Willie Peralta as the third candidate, but no official announcement has been made. You know, on that regard. Now, okay, it seems like we talk about Matt Garza on this program each and every week, and we're going to go here for a second because this guy might he, be the last time. It, it might be. So let's uh, let's uh, stretch this thing out as far as we possibly can. Thirteen uh, million dollar guy, but now you're in the situation where he doesn't have more years. So if you let him go, you're paying him the $13 million, but you almost have to evaluate it as for $13 million, is he more valuable to us pitching for us or not being part of the organization? And you don't have to worry about the future anymore. Does that maybe open up the possibility even more so than than, than previous years of just completely cutting bait with the guy? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I think the second thing you have to consider here. And one of the things that comes up every spring about this time, when you see these final roster moves we made, is organizational depth. Now, keeping Garza around preserves a little bit of organizational depth for a year, but it likely means that a guy like Chase Anderson or a guy like Tommy Malone that you otherwise would have kept has to go on waivers. Um, it, it almost certainly means there's not room for all those guys on the 25-man roster. And when you look at the guys in that conversation, Anderson, Malone, and Garza, Garza is the only one that you absolutely can say with certainty will not be a part of this team past the 2017 season. Now, Chase Anderson may come out and post a 6 ERA in April and be done, um, but if he comes in and performs well, there's reason to believe he could be a part of this team for the years to come. There's even you know, an outside shot that he could still be a part of this team the next time they're trying to contend. And so I think when you look at the upside and the long-term depth that you preserve, I think the signs are starting to point to this being the time when Garza should go. The the team decides to option down Brent Suter. He was pretty good at the end of the year last year, and I'm sure we'll see him at Miller Park at some point over the course of the year. But especially with Tommy Malone struggling in his last start, does that open up the door maybe a little bit more for Malone to end up in the bullpen? You know, it's a really interesting fit with Malone. I could see justifying keeping him around perhaps as a long reliever, um, but I'm not sure who you let go to make room um, because this is a Brewer team with a lot of very good bullpen candidates. This is a Brewer team that decided they didn't need Job Chamberlain and could send Michael Blazek down to the minors a week ago. There's a lot of very good bullpen candidates. And the other thing about Malone that makes him an odd fit in the bullpen is over the course of his career, he hasn't actually been very good against lefties. Um, so he's not a guy you're going to call in to get a lefty out in the eighth inning of a close game. He's a guy that would you would keep as an inning eater. And for some value, there is some value to be found in a situation like that. But I don't know that keeping Tommy Malone for the sake of keeping a lefty actually benefits the team all that much. From a win-loss perspective, and as we go through this rebuild, sometimes we don't talk about wins and losses maybe as much as we should be. From a win-loss perspective, does it concern you that there's the possibility of either having no lefties in the bullpen or, as you just mentioned, a left-hander who is not especially good against lefties? You know, I, I think it's a little bit overblown. I would rather see the Brewers keep the best seven or eight bullpen guys as opposed to kind of shoehorning in a lefty because they feel like they need one. There's just not a guy in the organization right now that is a you know safe bet to work as a lefty specialist. That's not really Brent Suter's game. That's not Malone's game. And so I would rather see this team keep the eight best guys and maybe see if there's a righty in there somewhere who has a, a specific pitch or an arsenal that works against lefties as opposed to trying to keep this together just because tradition says you need a lefty. Uh, to me, it seems like, hey, uh, uh, Aguilar, Jeanette, and um, and uh, DeJesus Jr. are three guys competing for two spots, with in all likelihood DeJesus Jr. being the odd man out. Agree or disagree with that general statement? No, I agree. I mean, I, I think... Scooter Jeanette has done everything the Brewers have asked of him this spring in an effort to make a very quick transition from being a guy who has played one position for all but about 10 games of his professional career um, to a guy who now can play all over the place. And I think having both Scooter Jeanette and Hernan Perez on the same roster provides a very interesting set of flexibility 
when you have two guys that can play several positions, one that bats lefty, one that bats righty. I think that's going to leave Craig Council a lot of options late in games. I think that also leaves David Stearns a lot of options as he constructs this roster because you can have backups at multiple positions without tying up as many roster spots as you need. Um, yeah, I, I think DeJesus is probably the odd man out, even though he's probably earned a job somewhere. Um, if the Brewers cut him loose, I suspect he will be able to find work. But I think when you look at what Jesus Aguilar has done this spring, even if spring training is a very friendly environment for players of his type, um, you still have to hit pretty well to put up a 500 average in Cactus League play. And we are very far into the spring for a guy like that to be carrying a number like that. On March 21st, Scooter Jeanette was hitting 400. Since then, he's gone 0 for his last eight. Is he at all opening up a door for, uh, for somebody else to take that spot and him not be on this club? You know, I, I think for a lot of teams, and I, I don't know if the Brewers have you know, kind of this ownership fallacy or not, but for a lot of teams, it seems like you would rather have the guy who's been in your clubhouse before, you know, all things being equal. You just know what you have in that regard. I think that probably pays some dividends for Scooter, um, a guy the organization has seen before, a guy they're familiar with, a guy they can picture in situations. And so I still think, you know, even given a little bit of stumble, I suspect the decision to make to keep him has probably been made already, um, if it won't be made soon. What's your, uh, let's go away from the Brewers for just a split second and talk about a former Brewer. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but Chris Carter's having a, a really tough luck spring with the Yankees, hitting 128, 25 strikeouts, and 47 at-bats. Uh, is a lot of people question whether or not it would work for him in New York, especially where it looks like he probably won't be an everyday player. Could this end up being a, a bit of a disaster for Carter with the Yankees? You know, I, I think if you're Chris Carter, you have to be really disappointed with the way this winter played out as a whole. Um, this is a guy who, you know, this is probably the least value anyone has ever applied to, a guy who led his league at home runs a year ago. Now, I mean, he is a one-dimensional player, um, but I think... When you talk to scouts and working with the Timber Rattlers, I hear from scouts a lot. You constantly hear complaints about the lack of power in the game. Yep. And then you've got a guy with, with Carter who has that skill in abundance and cannot find work. Um, now, I will say, you know, adjusting to a role, I think, is going to be a bit of a challenge for him. Carter's a guy who was maybe more than anybody an everyday player for the Brewers a year ago. Um, he's going to have a hard time finding consistent at-bats in New York, and I, I think it is a setback for him. Um, and you, you almost have to hope at some point that maybe he gets an opportunity to get a change of scenery um, and to either go, you know, mash and triple-A and every day at bats and prove that he belongs or, you know, get an opportunity to move right into a role with another team. Isn't that ridiculous? Let's, just, let's pause for a second because I agree with everything you just said, Kyle, but you just talked about the possibility of last year's National League home run champion having to go kill it at AAA for a little while. Isn't that just in incredible that we could live in a baseball world where that could be a true statement? Well, I'm not sure that he needs to do it to prove himself as much as, you know, if he goes into the season and doesn't get to play much in April. Um, he may need to go down to AAA just to get a couple weeks of consistent at-bats to straighten himself out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that's the point we're at because, you know, for as much as teams will talk about their desire for power, um, Carter is a guy that teams just don't seem to find value in, and, frankly, I don't get it. Um, it he's a guy who, you know, it's not just a swing and miss thing. He's a guy who has good at-bats. He's not a great defensive first baseman, but I think if you have a good team, I think Chris Carter could be a very key piece for it. Um, at a position where power across baseball is diminishing a little. Yeah, you know what they one of the you know key terms that people use now the the advanced metrics people and I understand where advanced metrics plays out and it's very very important. But people and David Stearns included likes to they they like to use the term uh, run creation. And I look at Chris Carter, and I look at his numbers from last year. He has 41 home runs, 94 RBIs. He scores 84 runs. He's among the team leaders in all those categories. To me, when you say run creation, home runs, RBIs, runs scored, those are the, the definition of run creation. Yet run creation all of a sudden is this, this weird term that doesn't even include those kind of things in, in a way. Yeah, I think... 
You know, historically, if you had a guy like Carter who hit 40 home runs, it really wouldn't matter what else he did. You'd put him in the three or four spot in your lineup because he hit 40 home runs. And I'm not sure. I think baseball has taught us over time that a guy who strikes out that much maybe shouldn't be in that spot. But if you are a team that has these three, four, and five spots in your lineup settled already, and you get an opportunity to put a guy like Carter, you know, sixth or seventh, knowing that, you know, about one in every 12 plate appearances, he's going to go deep. Um, that is the textbook definition of run creation. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a spot where a guy would certainly find a good fit. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like Carter was able to find that spot across baseball this winter. It was remarkable to me that teams feel that way. But I think at some point you're going to see teams turn that corner and realize that you know these guys that show good plate discipline with power don't just grow on trees. We're talking with uh, Kyle Loebner. He is a contributing writer for uh, the Timber Rattlers website. He also is, uh, you can check out the, the Brew Frosty Mug, which is uh, tweets that come out on an every morning uh, basis. you got to follow him on Twitter, at Brew Frosty Mug. Manny Pena and Jet Bandy appear to be the catchers going into the season more than any other reason. Well, for two reasons. One, Pena's been killing it. And then secondly, Andrew Susak has just been uh, banged up throughout the through most of spring. So, for you, has has Pena done enough, especially compared specifically to Bandy, to open up the year as the – I think everyday catcher isn't really the term we can use anymore with Jonathan Lucroy not around, but if we're going catcher number one, catcher number two, is Pena the number one catcher going in the season? You know, I, yeah, I think he probably is. I mean, I, I think he starts on opening day, but I wouldn't be surprised you know, I, I suspect if both these guys are on the roster all year, that you're going to see numbers pretty close to 90 or 70 or maybe even 80-80 for games played. Uh, the Brewers really seem to like Bandy's defensive ability. He has swung the bat pretty well this spring as well. And I think, you know, when you look at the catcher position in a bigger picture, I like what the Brewers have done with this. I think if they were to go into this season individually with any of the three, of Pena or Stusak or Bandy, as the expected everyday catcher, as a guy who's going to catch 110 or 120 games, fans would be very correct to be skeptical of that um, because none of these guys have demonstrated the ability to do that or to hit consistently at the big league level. But when you put the three of them together, I think you create the possibility and perhaps even the likelihood that one of these guys is going to exceed expectations. And if they do, and if they can find a regular catcher you know, a, a league average everyday catcher out of this group of three, um, all three of these guys have low enough service time that they could be a brewer for a very long time. That this could be, if not a cornerstone, at the very least a key piece of the next brewer team that's projected to contend. For, so those three catchers, none of them, especially veteran long-time guys, I know Pena's a little older, but he doesn't have the major league service time. It, is, it appears that Matt Garza's on the way out. Jabba Chamberlain's already gone. You do have Carlos Torres from a veteran standpoint, but even he, you don't think long-time veteran when you think uh, Carlos Torres. Is there any reason to be concerned about the pitching staff that between the pitchers on the staff and then the catchers who are going to be catching them, there aren't those, those veteran kind of guys around? Yeah, I think that can be an issue. I mean, I think there is a risk anytime you are relying on your culture coming from guys who maybe haven't been you know, long-time performers or guys who may not be effective in the long term. Um, there is a risk that that carries over and becomes an issue for the rest of the staff. But I think that the nice thing with this Brewer team at a variety of positions, and the starting rotation is going to be one of them, the catching is another, um, this is a position where pretty much all of these guys are interchangeable. You know, I, I think if you are not self-motivated to maintain your job on this Brewer roster, odds are you're not going to have it very long. Just because there's a, a volume of competition here, um, there's a lot of pieces of very similar value. And so if a guy comes into opening day and there is a cultural issue, um, you know, where he is a, a problem in the clubhouse or he's not putting in the work he's supposed to or... Yeah, he is demonstrating kind of a, a lack of ability to motivate himself. I don't think that'll last long. Um, I, I think you'll see the Brewers find an opportunity to move on from that, because the the one nice thing about the sixty million dollar payroll is the Brewers really don't have much invested in a lot of these guys. So if there's a guy that needs to be moved to send a message, I don't think they need to hesitate to do that. 
as as this week gets started, are there any what what guys, what competition? I feel like some of the only competitions maybe are still in the bullpen, and even that's that's coming together. But are are there individual guys that you're specifically really going to be watching to see what they do as we go into this final week before opening day? You know, I, I think Jesus Aguilar is putting together a spring. I mean, obviously nobody remembers when guys set Cactus League records. You know, by April they're all gone. But Jesus Aguilar has put together a spring that is about as close to a historic Cactus League spring as you can. And so I'm really curious to see what the last week holds for him. And then I think, you know, you're going to see, this is the first time you get a real chance to see how some of these guys handle pressure. Um, The guys who are coming down to their last Cactus League appearances and are not guaranteed a job. You know, can they come out and perform in that environment if they if they have a rough at bat or a rough inning, can they bounce back and have a better one? And so I think we're going to learn a little bit about some of these guys um, in the way they handle adversity, the way they handle pressure. Um, and, and I think we're going to see the tone set um, both with the last couple of guys who make this roster and also the guys who put themselves in position to be the first couple of guys called up if need arise. Last year we saw David Stearns acquire Carlos Torres right at the end of spring training. Uh, a deal was made for uh, a catcher who's more expected to be uh, contributing at the minor league level uh, on Sunday. But it really seems like Stearns is not afraid to make moves right at the end of spring training. Would you expect uh, more of that to be possible this week? You know, I, I think the Brewers would be kind of foolish not to be monitoring for possibilities to do that. But I think when you look at this 40-man roster right now, it's pretty full, and there's a fair amount of quality here. Uh, there, there's not a ton of kind of expendable guys that you would put on waivers to, to pick up somebody else's you know, kind of middling player. The Brewers have a lot of fringe major leaguers right now, so unless a great opportunity comes along, I don't know that it's a given that it'll happen. But I think, you know, I, I was just thinking the other day was the anniversary of the Niger Morgan trade. Um, they kind of came out of nowhere. In fact, I think it bumped a guy off the roster who had already been told he had won a spot. Um, and so, you know, all of this stuff is penciled in until the day it is final. And so I think, you know, watching the transaction wire, watching the last few moves this week, certainly there will be players that could help teams come available. And, you know, you could see the Brewers either lose guys on waivers or pick them up from somebody else. Your uh, your most recent uh, frosty microbrews over at the uh, Timber Rattlers website was right as uh, minor league camp was getting started. Uh, do you have? Uh, are you already working on uh, on your next uh, frosty microbrew piece? I am. I'll have one this week on a couple of 2016 Timber Rattlers. Uh, Lucas Erseg and Isan Diaz, who took advantage of the opportunity created by the World Baseball Classic, made a little bit of a, an impact in big league spring training over the last few weeks. And I think kind of put themselves on the, the radar screen for Brewer fans that maybe don't follow the minor leagues as closely. So I wanted to talk to them about that experience and how it's impacted you know their stock going forward and, and their opinion on the season up. In our, in our next segment, we're actually going to talk with uh, Brad Krause from Miller Park Prospects, and those are a couple of the guys that I want to talk to him about. But real quickly with you on that, as we'll get uh, we'll go down on the farm just a moment early here on the podcast. Wow, what a both those guys looked really good in spring training uh big league games you had um diaz hitting uh, over 500 you had Ersig hitting home runs he had maybe the most memorable hit of all of spring training with the home run ball that lands on top of the roofing structure out in right field all of a sudden people are thinking Ersig's the third baseman of the future there's a lot of excitement about diaz not quite sure what position he'll play as he continues to to evolve but man that's that's exciting with those two guys and and the fact that they were just up the road in Appleton uh, last season. and uh, I mean, how excited are you for, maybe excited is the wrong word, but how optimistic do you feel about what those two guys are going to be able to do in their big league futures, even if it's a couple years away? Well, I'm not surprised that Ursig was able to step into that venue and hit right away. I mean, this is a guy who has made the transition in less than a year's time from playing NAIA ball um, in California to being a draft pick to raking in rookie ball and coming to Wisconsin and hitting right away. I, I knew he would not be intimidated. Um, the results have been, you know, very encouraging and very surprising. I think it, it's, a, it's an interesting challenge to try to figure out, you know, how much this changes the trajectory of his career. Um, because I think the Brewers are still going to send him to high A to open the season. I think he probably still needs to perform pretty well there to move along just because his career has already seen him advance through three levels in less than a year. 
but I think, you know, it certainly gives the fans something to be excited about. I already saw um, one organization move Ursa into their list of the top ten third base prospects in all of baseball, hmm. um, which is pretty impressive yeah. for a guy who was not a first-round pick and has been a pro for less than a year. And then Isan Diaz is a guy who has hit at every level he's been at as well. He had 20 home runs for the Timber Rattlers a year ago to lead the Midwest League. And so for him to be able to come in and swing the bat, I mean, I think we're seeing what scouts have liked for him all along. And so, you know, both these guys probably open the season with Carolina, um, the first season of the Carolina Mudcats as a Brewers affiliate. But I think they're going to be names that we're going to be, you know, following pretty closely because both of these guys have the talent um, to perform at most levels, and I think you may see the Brewers try to challenge them. He is Kyle Loebner. You can follow him on Twitter at Brew Frosty Mug. Check out the, uh, the 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 links and the tweets that he always puts out uh, each and every morning. Also read him on the uh, Timberler Timberellers website with uh, his Frosty uh, Microbrew pieces, which come out uh, every other week or so. Kyle, appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk to you again in another month, month and a half or so here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue. My name is Matt Pauley. Very happy as we go down on the farm to uh, welcome onto the program for the first time ever. He is the editor. He also does a lot of the uh, photography for uh, Miller Park Prospects. He is uh, Brad Krause. Brad, appreciate you taking a few moments. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we uh, we're very happy. I got to say say this first before uh, before we even get into everything. Before I was here, I, I probably mentioned this on almost every single podcast. People are probably getting sick of hearing it. Uh, but I spent uh, six years in Colorado Springs with the Sky Sox. The last year was the first year of the affiliation with the Brewers. And as we were starting to learn the Brewers and learn the different folks out there who were involved, uh, I was introduced to your website and the the publication you put out each year. And uh, after having worked uh, with some other organizations i gotta say what you guys do at miller park prospects there's not a lot in major league baseball in terms of organizations that match the coverage that you guys give to the minor league so kudos to you and everybody involved with what you guys do oh thank you i appreciate that we actually had uh ryan kaufman from out in colorado springs did a, a little bit of work for us in the past yeah, absolutely, and he's somebody who I know real well and actually is in the position that I used to be in out there in terms of the radio station, not so much the team. But uh, we'll, we'll move on. You're, uh, you're down in Arizona. Talk to me a little bit about I know you haven't seen a ton quite yet, but has anything uh, jumped out to you yet uh, from what you've seen down there? Yeah, I haven't seen a whole lot yet. Uh, got in, caught a couple innings of one of the high A games over in Tempe, um, and then saw uh, the inter-squad games that they had the other, uh, I guess it was last Wednesday. Um, so not a whole lot, but, uh, yeah, a couple guys that really stood out to me, um, Gabriel Garcia, who's a draft pick last year. Um, he's been swinging the bat pretty well, the, the limited action I saw, um, in both that high A game or the low A game, excuse me. And, uh, inter-squad games, he, uh, he had a couple of balls that he struck really well. Um, I know he had a triple in that game against the angels. Um, he had a couple long fly balls as well. So he's a guy that's really impressed me. Um, uh, Chad McClanahan as well. Um, I know coming into everything, I had never seen him up until this point. Um, watching him, his defense actually impressed me. Um, I know that was a question whether he was going to play third base or first base. And I, I, everything I saw in him looks like he can handle third base. So that's good for him, good for the Brewers going forward. Um, on the pitching side, you know, again, haven't seen a whole lot. Um, got to see Marcos Duplan throw the other day. Um, Carson Lindell pitched in that low A game. He was really good. Um, but, uh, yeah, hopefully the next couple days here, um, tomorrow I'm heading over to Maryvale and Tempe again to see him. And then on Tuesday, uh, I'm getting my days all mixed up. I've been down here for a while. So um, heading over to Camelback, and I'll get to see him play the White Sox over there as well. What does it say about this organization? One of the big stories of the week was the fact that uh, with uh, Cordell and Brinson and Phillips all going to AAA, Michael Reed, a guy who's been a September call-up each of the last couple years and has put up, you know, obviously good numbers in the minor leagues, he gets sent to AA just because there's really no room for him on the AAA roster. Yeah, I think that speaks a great deal about the depth in the organization. 
Um, you know, a guy like Reed, he's a guy, you know, a couple of years ago would have been thought of as one of the top prospects in the organization. Now he can't even crack the AAA roster, even though he's, he's something that he's deserved. Um, you know, it, it's just a numbers issue. There's no room for him there. So as much as he probably deserves to be playing at AAA, um, you know, the, the Brewers' depth is just so great, especially in the outfield, um, that he's going to be heading back to Biloxi, it sounds like. The most recent uh, releases from a minor league standpoint include uh, Steve Peterson, David Lucroy, Clint Terry, Malik Hollymore, Chris McFarlane, uh, Santos uh, Saldivar. Any uh, any of those names worth noting or, or being surprised about? Uh, yeah, there's a few of them. Um, you know, Peterson is a left-handed reliever. I thought he had a shot. Um, he pitched fairly well. Same thing with Clint Terry, another lefty. Um, you know, they're both guys that, again, going back to the, the depth in the organization, um, you know, a couple of years ago, they'd have probably stuck on a roster and hung around and been given more of an opportunity. Now there's just so much depth, you know, in the pitching staff that there's just no room for them. Um, Tyler Moore as well. That was kind of a surprise. They just traded for him, uh, you know, a year and a half ago um, in the deal that sent Jonathan Broxton over to St. Louis. Um, so I was kind of surprised to see him released, but again, that outfield's so crowded, there's just nowhere for him to play. It's, I, you know, when it seems like there's so much movement within the organization, and you know, who knows what's going to happen here in the next week or so. We think we have a feeling of what the 25-man roster at the big league level is going to be, and then that's going to have the trickle-down effect. But David Stearns has proven that he doesn't, you know, just sit on guys. He makes moves. He brings guys in at the big league level and the minor league level. That's that's a bit of a change from what it had been previously. Do you like the fact that it seems like almost every roster in the organization sometimes? seems like it's it can be fairly fluid yeah absolutely that's something that's great to see them actually making the moves and always trying to improve um i don't know if you've had a chance to see the news today yet that they made a trade with the astros to pick up a catcher um tyler heineman uh so that's a, you know just another one of those moves that stern's been making just to improve the depth uh and just bring in more competition yeah, that was actually going to be the next question I asked you because uh, Susak has been a, a little bit banged up. There's Catcher is probably the one position depth-wise in the organization that does not equal the, the most other positions. What are the expectations of what we could see from uh, Tyler Heineman? I haven't had a chance to really see him play. I don't know a whole lot about him. Um, I, I know he's more of an average hitter, um, you know, good stolen base percentages, but, um, you know, other than scouting the numbers, there's not a whole lot that I can offer on that. Um, looking forward to seeing him, but I uh, haven't really had a chance to see him play yet. You guys put together your own prospect rankings, and obviously that's something that's done by uh, a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, publications. You, like most, have, have Lewis Brinson in as the number one spot. What Do you think Brinson makes his big league debut this season? Yeah, I, I can't really see any way that he doesn't actually, you know, barring an injury or something like that. Um, he's knocking right on the door. Um, he, he's clearly, to me, the top prospect in the organization. Um, you know, I, I know we have Corey Ray ranked second. Um, I think there's a, a bit of a gap between the two at this point. Um, but uh, Brinson's a guy who I think is just about ready. It's just a matter of, you know, it might be a service time issue that they hold him back for a little bit. And then, um, you know, once he... Once he's ready to go, I, I think they'll bring him on up. Yeah, I feel like that's something that not all fans completely understand, the Super 2 stuff. We saw the Cubs do it with Chris Bryant. Everybody does it, but Chris Bryant was probably the biggest headline uh, a couple seasons back. And uh, It's a... It's a thing where you don't bring him up at the end of last year despite what he did, and then you, you send him down early. Same thing with Josh Hader. It makes all the sense in the world to grab that extra year of club control, right? Exactly, yeah. And especially in a season like this where the Brewers aren't expected to compete, you don't want to be wasting a year of a player's service time. You know, then you get down the road, and when you are a competitive team, you don't, you know, that's one less year that you have them, or you're going to have to re-up them to a brand-new contract. Um, so it just makes sense to keep them down in the minors, save that year of service time, and, you know, give them that extra development as well. Make them, you know, rather than bringing them up and having them start right away on opening day, make them kind of kick in the door and force the issue. 
want to go through a few of the prospects who made some noise in big league spring training games uh, during the course of the season. Let's start with uh, Asan Diaz. You guys have him as your uh, number four prospect in the organization. He appeared in six uh, big league spring training games. He hit 545. uh, Very good numbers. He was very impressive last year with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Is this guy just continuing to take more and more steps forward? Yeah, definitely. Um, Isan Diaz is a guy that I saw a ton last year at Wisconsin, and he's very impressive. The bat speed is just out of this world. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of comparisons to a guy like Robinson Cano. Um, I think ultimately he will play second base. Um, you know, with guys like Arcia there, there's not really a spot for him at short, but I think he's the Brewers' second baseman of the future. I think he's going to be a really good one. Lucas Ersig appears in 11 spring training games with the big league club. He hits 417, and this is a guy who's very recently drafted, but he's a little bit of an older college guy, which might put him on the fast track through the minor league system. Was this year's spring training maybe the the coming out for him where all of a sudden you can start looking at him as potentially a third baseman of the future for the club? Yeah, and that's a great way to put it as a coming out party for him. Because um, going in, I you know, looking back at our rankings now, which we compiled in February, he seems a little low after watching what he's done <laughs> this spring. He's just been on fire and, um, you know, really has been impressive this spring out in Arizona here. We're talking with uh, Brad Krause. He's the editor of uh, Miller Park Prospects. Check him out online at millerparkprospects.net. Uh, we'll go through all the other places you can check him out uh, coming up near the, uh, the end of the conversation. Uh, Mauricio Dubon comes over in the trade and, and he made a nice uh, appearance as well. I mean, there's so many guys who are, you know, play similar positions that have all done nice things, but you know, here's another guy that you, you as he makes his way into the organization, he's been nothing but impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see what happens there with, you know, like we mentioned Arcia mentioned Isan Diaz already. Now you bring Duplan into the mix or I'm sorry, Dubon into the mix. Uh where he's going to fit in. Um, I know he's expected to play shortstop for Biloxi um, when he was with the Red Sox. I know he even experimented a little in the outfield. Um, so he could be a nice utility guy, and, and, you know, it's nice depth there as well in case, you know, either injury or expectations aren't met for one of the other guys. Are you at all worried about, you know, Jorge Lopez last year really struggled at AAA Colorado Springs, had to go back to Biloxi. He's shown that he's been able to, to master AA. You'd like for him to have some accomplishments at AAA before finally getting to the big leagues, but that, that might be a struggle. Are you at all worried because of the Colorado Springs factor of Lopez's ability to kind of correctly graduate and mature through the system and get to the big league level? Yeah, he's a really tough one to call. Um, you know, when you look at it, the only place he's really struggled over the course of the last year and a half has been at Colorado Springs. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of brings up the question, is it just uh, the pitching environment there that his pitches don't work as well? Um, you know, or, or what's, you know, what's the reason for that there? Because when you look at his 2015 season, he was the Brewers Minor League Player of the Year at Biloxi. Uh, you know, last year he had the struggles at Colorado Springs and then, Turned around, went back to Biloxi, corrected things, straightened things out there, pitched well. Uh, reports were in instructional league. He pitched really well, did great in the winter league, uh, and then he pitched some in the World Baseball Classic for Puerto Rico, and he looked you know, like his, his old self, what we're used to seeing from him there. Um, so really the only place that I've seen him have those terrible struggles was at Colorado Springs. So to me, I kind of at this point would chalk it up more to the pitching environment there. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him this year. It sounds kind of like he might be heading back to Biloxi just to uh, you know, have him avoid Colorado Springs. You guys have Brett Phillips as your number seven, and that's a little bit higher than, than some of the other uh, prognosticators out there. His stock has seemingly dropped over the last couple of years. He gets the call to AAA to start the year, so he doesn't go to double or double A for a third year, although two years ago was a short time, but not he doesn't go to double A for, for a third year. How important is it for Phillips after really some struggles last year to go to a place that has good hitting, it's a good hitting environment for him to go into Colorado Springs this year and really take that step forward? Yeah, and that's kind of the opposite of what we just talked about with Lopez is how that environment there going to affect Brett Phillips. Um, you know, that, that might be something that helps him and helps his offensive game. Uh, I think the big key for him is going to be the strikeouts. Uh, if he can put the ball in play, he's got, you know, can have all the other tools. He can do everything else. It's just a matter of can he make consistent enough contact. 
Um, you know, I, I think obviously playing in Colorado Springs should help his power numbers. I don't think that's really been an issue for him to this point in his career as it is. Uh, but I think definitely, um, you know, the strikeouts are the, the big concern as far as how the less he strikes out, the further he's going to go. Absolutely. Brad, you also, uh, you guys put together a, uh, a fantastic book each and every year, which again, going back to when I was working with the Sky Sox, it was, it was so good to be able to uh, have such an in-depth look on paper at, at so many prospects and minor league guys throughout the organization. People can purchase it at MillerParkProspects.net. It's the, uh, it's the prospect preview. Can you talk to me a little bit uh, about the book and uh, how folks can go about getting it? Yeah, it's something we've put out the last three years now. Uh, just something similar kind of to the, the Baseball America Prospect Handbook. Um, we just kind of wanted to put a Brewer's emphasis on it. And, uh, you know, it's got uh, some scouting reports on our top 50 players that we have ranked, um, some other players as well. Um, you know, anybody that received a vote, uh, the way we did our rankings was uh, about seven different guys that submitted their list so anybody who received a vote there's a scouting report on them in there uh we go a little more in depth with some guys with some individual player profiles um but uh yeah it's uh you know it's about 200 and some pages um just a lot of um information scouting reports notes um and anything that you could hope to find about the the brewers and their minor league prospects um you can get it like you mentioned on our website uh, millerparkprospects.net uh, you can go right on the website and order it directly from there. The website, MillerParkProspects.net. Uh, follow them on Twitter at BrewersMPP. You can follow uh, Brad on Twitter as well at BKrause2. That's B-K-R-A-U-S-E-2. Brad, always good uh, to uh, to hear your stuff and good to talk to you uh, for the first time. Hopefully we're able to get you on the program uh, every once in a while to talk all things uh, minor leagues throughout the Brewers organization. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me. It was really nice speaking to you, Matt. Brad Krause joining us from Miller Park Prospects, and we certainly appreciate him taking a few moments uh, with us today. Again, make sure to check out uh, their website and uh, their Twitter activity. There's a lot of really good stuff, and they do as good a job as anybody on uh, on breaking down Brewers minor leaguers. That book he talked about, if you've ever seen the Baseball America Prospect book where they have bios on everybody, that's what this book kind of is like, but it's just completely Brewers-centric, and uh, the, the profiles get even deeper than uh, than anything you see in the Baseball America book. So that is, uh, that's, that's, that's a great website for you to check out if you're interested in Brewers minor leaguers. All right, let's take a look at what is on schedule for the course of the week. Monday is an off day. Then they will play uh, back-to-back games against uh, the Indians on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, nothing on Thursday. That is more of a travel day than anything else. They'll play a couple exhibitions this year at uh, Miller Park against the White Sox. The first one is 7-10 on Friday night, and then they'll wrap up the spring training schedule again against the White Sox at Miller Park uh, at 1-10 on uh, Saturday afternoon. Sunday is the final day of the offseason, I guess you can say, and then it all gets rolling a week from Monday, Monday the 3rd, against the Rockies and uh, that will uh, that game will start at 110 by the way of course you can hear uh, all Brewers games on WTMJ and on that day on the day of opening day my goodness we've got uh, we've got Brewers opening day just covered from start to finish it's going to begin with uh, Jeff Wagner broadcasting uh, live from Miller Park early in the day and it's going to go on uh, throughout the day all the way through uh, the the end of Sports Central so uh be tuned in to WTMJ all day long for uh, the best in Brewers opening day coverage. All right, that is it for uh, this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Our thanks once again to uh, Kyle Loebner for joining us. Our uh, thanks to uh, Brad Krause for joining us. And as always, we love to hear from you. So if you've got uh, any comments on the podcast, feel free to uh, tweet at me at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. And we'll talk to you again next week as we get set for uh, opening day. It'll be the final edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, before the season actually gets started. Look forward to talking to you then and look forward to Brewers season being starting very, very soon. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. 
For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.